In the grand theater of life, we all seek a comeback, a resurgence, a rekindling of our inner fire. But how do we spark that flame? Welcome to Reignite Resilience. This is not just another podcast. This is a journey, a venture into the heart of human spirit, the power of resilience, and the art of reigniting our passions. Hello, and welcome back to Reignite Resilience. Super excited for today's podcast. Again, I'm Pam Cass, and I'm joined by Natalie Davis. And we have a very special guest today, which Natalie is going to introduce here in a second. This is somebody that came into my life in, oh my gosh, probably 10 years ago, which I can't even believe it's been that long, and has had an incredible impact on my life. And I know the lives of probably thousands of people across the world. And so super excited. So now I'm going to pass it off to you to introduce our special guest today. Fabulous. Thanks, Pam. Welcome back, everyone. We are so excited for our guest today. As Pam mentioned, a very special guest to both Pam and I. And I think, Pam, my experience is the same. It's been about 13 years since I met Larry and my life has completely transformed since that introduction. So with that, without further ado, Larry Kendall holds a master's degree in business administration from Kansas State University and has practiced real estate for 50 years. He is one of the founding partners and the chairman emeritus of The Group Inc., a Colorado real estate company with 300 sales partners in seven offices in Colorado. The Group Inc. was recognized by both Real Trends and Realtor Magazine as the most productive real estate company in the United States in terms of transactions and dollar volume per associate. Larry is the author of Ninja Selling, a sales training system with over 100,000 graduates in eight countries. He has taught for 10 years in the real estate program at the Colorado State University College of Business and is a 2006 Colorado Realtor of the Year. His book, Ninja Selling, was released in 2017 and became both an Amazon bestseller and the number one new release in its first week. It received the Axiom Business Book Award Globe Medal, Gold Medal, as the best new sales book for 2018. In 2020, Ninja Selling was voted by Inman News readers as the best sales book for the real estate industry. It is rated in the top 20 books on Amazon in the category of sales and selling. In 2020, Larry was inducted into the Colorado Business Hall of Fame. Larry's mission is to help people and their organizations go from the life that they have to the life that they dream about. Welcome to the show, Larry. Well, thank you. Thanks, Natalie. Thanks, Pam. It's an honor to be with you. Yeah, we are so excited to to have you with us and to share your story. And so what I'd love to do is just kind of jump in and have you share a little bit about your background and some of the experiences you had kind of early on in your life. Uh, You bet. Uh, Well, I grew up in a small town, Council Grove, Kansas, about 2,300 people, 60 of my high school graduating class. My parents had a small business and that was on the first floor. We lived upstairs. Basically, we didn't, I don't think we were necessarily poor, but we just didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) if I wanted anything, I had to figure it out. And Mm -hmm. uh, one thing I figured out at age seven was a neighbor had a vacant lot and I went over to ask him if I could put a garden in there and they could have a share of whatever I grew. And I grew vegetables, cleaned them up and took them down to Buckman's Grocery and sold them. And that was my first business. I guess as an entrepreneur was at the age of seven, I was uh, doing that. Uh, Later, Buckman's Grocery offered me a job as a stalker to uh, stock shelves and they paid me 40 cents an hour. And I did that for about a month and I realized I can make more money raising vegetables (laughs) 
<laughs> and when I look back on my life, I very seldom have ever worked for a salary or for an hourly. I've always okay. had a business. You know, I later had a uh, paper route. I had a, a lawn mowing business, paid my way through college playing rock and roll, had a rock band. So really, other than just a couple of times, uh, pretty much I've always been in a business, some sort of business. And most of that time, obviously, in, in the sales business. Wow, that's I think that's amazing. Most people don't have the opportunity to recognize the power of entrepreneurship until they're an adult. So for you to <laughs> realize that before even you know hitting yes. your preteens, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. Well, and so having that experience of entrepreneurship, I'm assuming that that really helped in carving the way to the real estate industry. So share with us some of those experiences that you think that helped you in finding your way to real estate and seeing all of the success that you've had in real estate? Well, I think several things were important. First of all, I had great parents and as their business started to thrive, they bought an investment property and fixed it up. And I was involved in helping, you know, do the painting and, mm-hmm. and the fix up on that. And I realized early on the benefits of real estate investing and made a goal for myself that someday I would own properties. I think that was an early experience that I had that was good. I mentioned some of the entrepreneurship. I went to college to get a degree in business, which I did from Kansas State. And at the time, the Vietnam War was going. And so a lot of people don't remember this, but in all land-grant universities, all male students were required to be in ROTC for two years. And so I was in ROTC I later went advanced ROTC and helped pay for my college education that way and went in the army. And I was a captain in the army in Germany. And we lived in a little mountain village and fell in love with the mountains. And and that was a really a big experience for us. Number one, growing up in Kansas, at the time, I'd never seen the ocean. I'd never been on an airplane. Uh, all at once now we're living in Europe and totally different experience, which influenced our travel and and some of the experiences we've had but also living in the mountains. And we decided when we came back to the United States, let's go to Colorado. So that was a defining moment. Pat, my wife, we had a 10-month-old daughter. We came out to Colorado. And at the time, there was a recession and nobody was hiring. I had an MBA. I'm a captain in the Army, former captain. I, you know, I should be employable, but nobody was hiring. And so that's when I decided, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my career in real estate. And so I got a real estate license and started selling real estate. Amazing. So, Larry, it sounds like your parents had a pretty big role in your probably success today. Are there other individuals throughout the years or other moments that were pivotal in getting you to where you are today? Yeah, I think so. My parents obviously had a big influence. There was a professor in the business school named Dr. Laughlin. Eugene Laughlin. And I remember he was an accounting professor. We were doing depreciation. And I asked, I raised my hand. I said, are you telling me that we can depreciate real estate? Because we were depreciating equipment in factories and stuff like that. And I said, what about real estate? Oh, yeah, you can depreciate real estate. And I said, are you telling me you can depreciate an appreciating asset? And he said, yeah. And I says, is that legal? And he said, yeah. (laughs) And I said, I'm going to make my, I'm to make my career in real estate. <laughs> like light bulb goes off. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> that is uh, so fabulous. he had a big influence. Another mentor really was Marshall Thurber. Okay. In 1984, I met Marshall. At that time, we had started our real estate company and we were fairly successful. But when I met him, it, all at once it crystallized and he had a, uh, he was a, well, his background, he had a real estate company in San Francisco that was very successful. So successful that people ask him, how did he do it? And he started teaching classes. His class was called Money and You. I took the class. 
a lot of day one of the ninja installation comes from Marshall, from his class. A lot of the mindset piece, working together, cooperation, how you communicate, all of that was Marshall. And he had a big influence on me and it kind of crystallized my thinking and put me really on a, I was already on that path, but it accelerated it. So Mm -hmm. I would say he was a big influence. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about some of the challenges you've had. You know, what are some challenges you can think of that have you faced and obstacles that you faced that have kind of fueled you along the way or kind of gotten you to where you are today? Well, I think the challenge of growing up in a small town and a family didn't have any money taught me entrepreneurship. I think that was important. If you wanted anything, you had to go create it. I didn't have an allowance or anything like that. In first grade, I contracted encephalitis, which is a um, a neurological disease. It's the brain gets hot, it swells. Typically, you go into a coma, which I did. A lot of people died. They didn't come out of the coma. Yeah. Uh, I guess the two greatest fears of disease growing up as a kid, one was polio and mm-hmm. the other one was um, encephalitis. This was back in the 50s. I was fortunate. I woke up from the coma, but I woke up with paralysis of one leg and a speech defect. I had slurred speech. I couldn't really walk very well. I still have one leg that's shorter than the other from that. So that was a tough time. And being a first grader, I missed six months of school. Wow. And fortunately, my mother was a former school teacher and she worked with me all summer to try to get me ready for second grade. Wow. But I was always behind, you know, uh, the other mm-hmm. kids. That's part of why I'm an introvert. And <laughs> 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 I was never the most popular yes. kid, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. or any of that. But I did outgrow. My mother said, you know, you're going to outgrow this. I think you'll be fine. And she was right. I, by the time I was in high school, I was able to play sports. Wow. My speech impediment cleared up to think now that I, <laughs> I make yes, a teacher is a little bit bizarre. But yeah. uh, that was a, a difficult time. And again, I think my mom, definitely my mom, and to a certain extent, my father were very encouraging and, and yeah. helped me through that period. So wow. that was my earliest challenge that I can remember. That's amazing. Amazing. Well, and Larry and Ninja Selling, you talk a lot about mindset and I hear that story. And I think the actual mindset piece for you coming from your mom, right? And yeah. how that has actually played such a huge role in what you've been able to share with so many individuals across the world. That one statement of her saying, you're going to outgrow this. I think that was powerful. And exactly. Yeah, she was an encourager. And I think I learned a lot from her. Unfortunately, I lost her when I was 18. She was killed in a car wreck. And that was a a real downtime, a downer for me, you know, from that standpoint. But what it taught me was that a couple of things. Number one, you can overcome things. Number two is uh, what I teach is, you know, if I can do this with understanding how your brain works, how your mindset works, you know, anybody can do it. And so I'm a walking case study, if you will, of how this works. So, wow. Exactly. You know, in Ninja, we talk about victim versus player. I mean, you've been a player since you were, oh my gosh, a little, just a little person. And I think we talk a lot about community and the people, mentors and coaches and parents that kind of help us through our life. And so you had a a parent that really did that, encouraged you to have that player mindset from a very young age. So, wow, very powerful. Yeah, I think it's important to be, as a parent, to teach your kids to be players. Yeah, absolutely. So often we want the best for them, and if we're not careful, we we make it too easy for them. And they become stronger the tougher tougher it is. Uh, Don't be too tough on them, but I mean, don't make, you know, be an encourager, put it that way. That's the best thing. Yeah, 
I love that. I love it. And Larry, like looking at that time of your life around 18, there's so much that comes out to me. So 18 years old, unfortunately losing your mom in a car accident. This is also the time frame that you're considering going to college. You're playing in a rock band. So you're doing all of these entrepreneurial pieces to support yourself to go through college. Tell us what prompted you to take that path of becoming a lifelong learner versus just playing in a rock band. You could have just played in a rock band. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> well, I could have. And and w- what I learned was I was a good musician, but I wasn't a great enough to really make that as a career. Yeah. I watched other people who were truly great and even they had trouble. That's, That's a very it. tough industry to mm-hmm. break into and to make a living. Also, you know, I wanted to someday, you know, have a family and so on. And that the rock, <laughs> rock musician lifestyle. <laughs> Plus, yes. Plus, a couple things. Plus, I was um, I was in ROTC, so I knew I was going to be going in the army. Mm-hmm. A particularly tough part that at that time was my sister, my younger sister, who's nine years younger. So my mom's dead. My dad's in the hospital. He was in the hospital for quite a few months. And so what I did was I I didn't drop out of school, but I dropped back on my hours. I maintained twelve hours credit hours, which was enough to keep me from getting drafted. And I could still, and I, we were 35 miles from Kansas State University. So I basically commuted for a year that year to kind of tell my dad to get back on his feet, take care of my sister, take care of his business. Basically, I was with his staff. I was basically running the business. And so that was an interesting, at 18, you know, here I am. I'm basically a de facto parent. Yeah. Uh, I'm running a business. I'm trying to go to college, all of that. So that was a tough time that year. Wow. Um, I just, I mean, listening to you talk about 18, running a business, raising your daughter. Wow. I'm just like, you know, sometimes we think that we've got a lot going on in our lives, but I, I think about what you were going through at that young age. What a powerful story of resilience. And you just did it, you know, very easily could have gone to that victim place and and done nothing, but you didn't. You just kept going forward. So, wow, that's incredible. Incredible. Well, let's talk, Larry, about your book, because you wrote a book, which a lot of people aspire to do. I know it's something that I want to do. I know something Natalie want to do. It feels overwhelming. So what was the motivation for you to decide to go out and write this book, Ninja Selling, which I've read multiple times and many, many people have read. It won awards. It's an incredible book. What kind of was the motivation behind that? You know, I think that sometimes we have dreams and sometimes the dreams have us. Mm -hmm. And I think both work. In this particular case, it was more the dream had me. I just wanted to sell real estate and put food on the table and support my family. And I found a way to do that that worked for me. And then others asked, how do you do that? I started sharing that with them. Before long, we had a whole company doing that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Before long, the company is getting national recognition. Before long, people are are beating a path to our door saying, we want to know how you do that. And I said, well, I can show you. Now I end up finding myself in the workshop business. Then what I found was people were coming to the workshops, the ninjas selling workshops and really enjoying them and then leaving. But they had a manual, but I hadn't really created the the mm-hmm. hard copy, what I would call the Bible. And I needed to do that. I started writing the book, but I also wanted to be able to prove that it worked outside of our company and uh, proof of concept, basically. Mm-hmm. And I began to see that it was working for people all over the country. It's called Ninja Selling. I think if you've read the book, you know why it's called Ninja Selling. It's named after 
a top producing agent in our company by the name of Jim Dunlap, whose nickname was the Ninja. Mm -hmm. And um, so <laughs> it's not a martial arts book, <laughs> but it is catchy. And, you know, yeah. people kind of, I go to conferences and they'll come up and say, hi, Larry, my name's Katie. You don't know me, but I'm a ninja. And, uh, <laughs> you know, yes. and so they identify with that. So anyway, but yeah, writing a book itself is a challenge. It takes a lot of work. Kind of, if you want me to, I can walk you through the process that that yeah. took me. It started with a, I was on a committee for Governor Hickenlooper. He was okay. the governor of Colorado at the time. And I was on a committee that he appointed. And I met a gentleman by name of Jeff Smart. And Jeff is very smart. And he had just published a book called Who? And it's by Random House. It's a, a top bestseller. It's Jeff has a PhD in human resources. And it's basically become the Bible for hiring in corporate America. And I said, Jeff, I want to write a book. You've just written a book. Tell me, what do I need to do? And he says, well, there's really three levels of book. One is he had published his doctoral dissertation. It got the attention of, I think it was Random House. It was one of the major publishers. They offered him a big advance to have the rights to his book. An advance, as he points out, is nothing more than a loan. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know this, so-and-so got a million-dollar advance. Well, that means if you don't sell a million dollars worth of books, you have to pay it back. Okay. Yes. I didn't know that. He okay. explained yeah, that enough. to me. Yeah. He says, Larry, you're probably not going to get Wiley or Random House or a yeah. major publisher. So your second choice would be a small publisher. And he says, I just published a new book, which is a niche book. And he says, I used Greenleaf Book Group in Austin. Mm -hmm. And I was very happy with him. That might be an option for you. And the third option Today, a lot of people are self-publishing. Yes. And so those are kind of your three. And so, well, would you introduce me to Greenleaf? And I really like them. And we went down to Austin and met with them. And it's not automatic. I had to submit a bunch of stuff to them. And they told me later, they review about 50 book proposals a week. They have a, a team that meets every Friday and they all bring in the proposals. They usually have about 50 and they'll usually pick out of those 53 or four that they think have merit and that they'll go forward. So first of all, to get accepted was a, a big deal. Then they gave me an editor, what they call a development editor, who I didn't get along with at first. And then we got along great. Okay. I started writing the book and he called me and he says, what are you trying to do here? This book is all over the place. It's partly self-help book. It's partly a sales book. It's, you know, partly autobiographical. It That's needs right. Welcome it to needs, Ninja Selling. That's yeah, exactly focus. He says, at the rate you're going, the book will be over a thousand pages and you need to have a little bit more focus. And so, and you know what? He was absolutely correct. Yeah. And so I didn't like hearing that, but I, I realized my book was kind of all over the place. So anyway, we made it through that phase. And then they gave me a more of a, a traditional editor who helps you with structure and layout and all of that. And we finally got the book done. And uh, so that was it. The other interesting mm -hmm. side story on books, and I don't know how deep you want to go, but uh, then we wanted to do the audiobook. Mm -hmm. And Greenleaf told me, well, that's fine. We'll get you a, uh, a professional you know, professional reader. And I said, well, I'd like to do the book myself. They said, we've had really bad success with authors reading their own books. It's a talent. We need a voice talent to do this. Mm -hmm. I said, well, you know, I teach classes and people are used to my voice and I have mm -hmm. a lot of recordings and stuff. And they would not relent. They said, no. So we went ahead and did it on our own and found a, a sound studio in Las Vegas. The sound guy was awesome. So we recorded the book, took I think about six sessions, as I recall. Okay. I, 
I can remember the very first session, he looked at me and he says, why are you wearing that? And I, said, <laughs> I looked at what I was wearing. I says, what? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> He says, go home and change. I want you back here in sweats. Everything's got to be cotton. It's got to be soft. I can hear your clothes scratching on the microphone. Yes. He said, secondly, what did you eat this morning? I said, well, I had a bagel with cream cheese. He said, how many did you have? I said, I had one. Well, what time did you eat? <laughs> I told him, he says, tomorrow I want you to eat two. I want you to eat an hour earlier. I can hear your stomach growling. Wow. And uh, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. So anyway, we got done and uh, he says, I want you to listen to something. He says, this is the last chapter you did. And I listened to it with the headphones. He says, what do you think? I said, I'm pleased with it. He says, I think it's awesome. He says, now let me play for you the first chapter. And I listened to it. I go, it's not very good, is it? He says, it's okay. You know, it's, it's good enough. He says, we can go with it. But he said, you caught your stride after chapter 14. Mm. Hmm. So the question is, and you know what? That tells me Greenleaf was right. Mm -hmm. I was not professional. And he says, do you want to redo the first 14 chapters? And I said, absolutely. And he says, let's yeah. go. And so we went back and redid all the first part of it. And I think it turned out pretty good. So yeah. that's that's the history. <laughs> I love that. Of both books. And Larry, you know, when we're talking about resilience, we talk about community quite a bit. And so for just in hearing that story, a lot of times community looks different, right? It's surrounding yourself with the experts and the professionals that know more about the activity or the mm -hmm. task that we're working on and right. sometimes putting our ego to the side. <laughs> because the reality is you had a successful sales program with Ninja Selling. It worked. You had the results and you had to convince this publishing company that it mm -hmm. needs to become a book and it's going to become a book. Um, right. So letting them buy into that as well. Yeah. 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 And I should mention while we're talking about the book, it's actually being printed right now. We have the, uh, it's called Ventas Ninja. It's the Spanish version of Ninja Selling. We have a, a pretty large Spanish speaking audience of ninjas mm -hmm. outside. Uh, some are mm -hmm. obviously in the United States, but a lot of them are outside mm -hmm primarily Mexico and South America. Oh. And uh, I was just at a global networking event for Sotheby's International Realty. And we gave copies, I think about a dozen copies to owners of, <laughs> of companies in South America, primarily Chile in particular. I remember the two gentlemen there, they were all over it. And so um, we're excited about that. So that'll be a larger audience for Ninja Selling. Congratulations. That's exciting. Yeah. We hope that you've enjoyed part one of our interview with Larry Kendall. I, for one, have had so many great takeaways and reminded of the importance of having a sense of community and knowing that I can be a player in this fabulous journey that we call life. Make sure that you tune in for our next episode where we'll bring Larry back for part two of the interview, and he'll share with us some of the tips and resources that he's used to be resilient in his life, and also give us a little bit of insight of the clues that he's received that have helped to ensure him that he is on the right path. We'll see you soon for part two. Thank you for joining us today. Remember to subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast with others who are seeking to reignite their resilience. Stay tuned for our upcoming episodes where we'll continue to explore the remarkable power of resilience. Until next time, keep the fire of resilience burning bright in your hearts. Bye, guys.